0: Good morning again. Welcome to this gathering of Hope Community. While there's a little bit of shuffling in the room, my mind goes to Psalm 3. We're going to go to John chapter 9. You can just turn there, please. But I I wanted to point something out to you from Psalm 3 that I discovered years ago when I was minding my own business reading the Word of God, and this thing just struck me. Uh, uh, Verse 4. Verse 5 of Psalm 3, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Love that means God woke us up today. If you are here this morning, you need to know that God chose. His deliberate choice was to give you life today. And that means that today has value and significance and it really matters. Please don't test this verse in, in church. I lie down and sleep. Just, just take my word for it. Try, try this tonight and tomorrow morning. When you lie down and sleep, God will watch over you. We're told also in the Psalms, that, uh, the Psalms that God never slumbers, never sleeps, never slumbers. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I need to pray for me and I'd like to pray for you as we approach the holy word of God this morning. Oh Lord, grant us uh, eyes to see what you have for us as we open up the Word of God. Areas of our lives that we have tried to keep hidden from the sights of other people and somehow we have talked ourselves into thinking that if they don't see, then you don't see. Shine your light this morning, bright and wholesome, into areas where we need to understand what you have written for us, that we might live for you so that a watching world might recognize we actually belong to Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. Well, the story of Mewin Sukkat is a fascinating story of service to God that began with an ordinary life followed by years of cruelty, during which he became a Christian. And the last part and longest part of his life was filled with fruitful ministry. By birth and in his early days, May Wynn lived in the country of England, born to English parents. Now, for a frame of reference, this took place in the early to mid 400s A.D., at the age of 16, May Wynne was taken prisoner from England to Ireland. Some Irish raiders came to England and attacked his family and took him home and enslaved him. For six years, he was a slave in Ireland, and during that time, he became a Christian. He escaped and made his way back to England, and not long After returning to his homeland of England, he began to realize that God was impressing upon him a life of service and missions to Ireland. He thought he hated those people, and he was being called to return to those people, this time of his own free will. He spent the next 15 years in training and study in the country of France. After his ordination as a priest, he was sent to Ireland with a two, two-fold mission. One, minister to the Christians in Ireland. Two, convert the unbelievers in Ireland. You probably don't know the name Maywin Saccat. Upon becoming a priest, he took the name Patrick. And he lived such a life of service that uh, following his years on earth, he became known as St. Patrick. Patrick saw his work through the lens of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. As far as we know, he was the first person post-New Testament era who thought that the Great Commission applied to him. And he would render his life in service to God in fulfillment of a specific verse, the Great Commission, which says to go all to all nations. Now, you might have already uh, arrived at this question. How could it be that travel from England to Ireland would somehow represent the, um, the ends of the earth, as Patrick would put it? Well, there were plenty of barbarians in Ireland Patrick reasoned. And these folks are outside the Roman, the reach of Roman law. They need to hear about civility. They need to hear about Jesus. And he will change their lives to be good citizens. And so he went back to Ireland. Patrick's vision was to see that the Irish, the people that he once hated, would be given sight. For they, like he for many, many years, had been blind to the gospel, and blind to the things of God. And if they were to ever see spiritual realities, they needed a work of God. And that brings us to John chapter 9. My aim this morning is to show you from John chapter 9 that people who are spiritually blind need the Savior in order to see and to understand Spiritual truth. Toward that end, I'll be pointing out three perspectives that I find in John chapter 9. And since the, uh, well, at least the initial part is very direct in dealing with suffering, we'll start there. A a perspective on suffering. And then there's an extended conversation that involves Jesus Christ and someone that he healed from blindness. And there'll be a perspective on the Son of God. And finally, We'll close with a perspective on spiritual blindness. So let's look first to suffering. John chapter 9, first three verses. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this has happened so that he, the works of God might be displayed in his life. And we'll stop there for now. Love that Jesus said very directly, very concisely, neither this man nor his parents sinned. In other words, there is no sin involved in the birth of the disabled. To be affected by disability is a normal condition in a fallen world. These, um, there were people in the ancient world, and evidently there still are some people in our modern world who believe that disability was evidence of being cursed by God. At the end of a very long conversation, and I'm just going to say a sentence to catch you up, this is Jesus talking to Pharisees who had a hard time accepting the fact that somebody who had been born blind was healed by Jesus. So they will say this directly to Jesus Christ. So this is the, the um, opposition speaking to Jesus. You, uh, excuse me, uh, speaking to the man who had been healed of blindness. To this they replied, "'You were steeped in sin at birth. "'How dare you lecture us?' And they threw him out, the, meaning they threw him out of the synagogue." you might have a translation that says, you were born entirely in sin. How did they come to that conclusion? Well, from their perspective, duh, he was born blind. God is against them. He was born entirely in sin. Now, that that thinking has made its way into the modern culture, probably not so much in the West, but in other countries, other nations. It is uh, sometimes believed in places that if you were born with disability, you have been cursed by God. There must be something wrong with you. Remember, the truest thing about you is not what you think or feel or say about yourself. It's not what other people think or feel or say to you. The truest thing about you is what the Word of God says about you. You are not cursed by God if you are born with a disability or if you acquired a disability at some point in your life, you are not cursed by God. In a fallen world, we should expect to see evidence of the fallenness of our world and sometimes, unfortunately, that means disability occurs. Well, when does that get eradicated? At the very end of time. If it's easy for you to turn there, I'll be back to John chapter 9 shortly, but I'm going to the last book of the Bible, book of Revelation chapter 21. Love this because it speaks of our final destination, book of Revelation chapter 21, starting with verse 1. This is so important for us to get a, a handle on. And then I saw, this is the Apostle John who gets a peek into uh, the activities on earth and, and, and toward the end of time. So John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So that tells us right away that there's a new heaven and a new earth. Our final destination is not heaven right now as we know it. So your final destination, get it out of your mind if this has been in your mind, your destination is not to sit on a pink cloud and learn how to play the harp. Not that. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And that leads you, that ought to lead you to ask, well, gee, what's wrong with the present heaven and the present earth? Have you noticed there's a separation between those who live on planet earth and those who dwell in heaven? That separation can only be cured by passing through death's door as a believer in Jesus Christ. That's the way we cure that separation right now. But that's not the way it will always be. We will have free and full access. Both people on earth, people in heaven will have free and full access to the person of Jesus Christ. And so that separation will no longer be needed. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth created at the end of time. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The holy city of Jerusalem houses the, the temple which houses the presence of god on earth and so this is a representation of the holy city now is descending from heaven onto earth the presence of god is there finally we get free and full access to the presence of god on earth watch how this comes down in verse 3 i heard a loud voice from the throne which we know belongs in heaven it's in verse uh, chapter uh, 4 of revelation i heard a loud voice from the throne saying Now the dwelling of God is with people, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now watch what happens in the restoration of all things recorded in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning. That's not mourning, the start of a new day. That's mourning. M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Grieving. No more grieving in this new heaven, new earth. Why? There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Hallelujah and thanks be to God. Our final destination as followers of Jesus Christ is that we will be in a place where our bodies will not decay, They will not be subject to disease, and we will never die. Death, decay, disease are taken care of through Jesus Christ, and they will be realized for us as believers in Christ at the end of time. And this will be to God's glory that death, decay, and disease are removed. It will also be to God's glory that it will be put on display in eternity that he can actually create a world with people in it who will live according to his desires. God created a world with people already, and something went wrong. What went wrong? People. And so that's not going to be the final record of God's creative work with people. God will create a new heaven and a new earth, and people will do his bidding. They will give glory to God. They will love God. They will worship God. And some might ask, well... Why didn't God do this the first time? Because the the suffering of a fallen world necessitates the person and the work of a savior from that fallen world. God's highest glory is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus entered the experience of humanity and he suffered with us for a season so that he could deliver us from our own suffering and our own sin. Well, it is evident that the reach of God's sovereign claim on on humanity includes physical suffering, and that means human suffering is not without purpose. Just because it's hard and heavy does not mean that God cannot bless you in your circumstance, and your situations. So two takeaways from this very brief section of Scripture in John, the first three verses. One, suffering is not always the result of sin. And two, suffering can be used to reveal the glory of God. Okay, so people who are spiritually blind need the Savior. We're we're just beginning to enter into this experience of a fallen world where sometimes there's physical sight and sometimes physical sight doesn't work. Now let's look at a perspective on the Son of God that's brought out in very good detail starting with verse 6. So he encounters this man who's born unable to see, and then it says, Having said this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Okay, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many right now are kind of grossed out by what we just read? Oh, my. I'm like uh, Mr. Hand Sanitizer. Uh, (laughs) I... COVID was a blessing because now there's hand sanitizing stations everywhere and I no longer have to carry them. First thing I look at when I walk into a church or a restaurant or something, hey, give me some more of that stuff. Wow. In fact, here, you, you take some of it as well and put it on the menu and on the table. This is tremendous. I don't like reading this thing. He spit on the ground and he made some, what, what, Why? Hey, Jesus has healed people at a distance. Why not just do it here? you know, just walk away, leave, and the guy can still be healed. He doesn't have to spin on the ground and make some mud, and then, oh, holy moly, I hate to even talk about it. He smears this stuff on the man's eyes, go and wash it off. Well, yeah, of course he wants to wash it off. Go to this place, wash it off, and then you'll be able to see. Wow, I used to struggle on this, and then I just simply read the chapter. There's, there's some uh, statements made in this chapter that I think clearly tell us why he spit on the ground and made some mud. Let's start reading verse 10. And, and notice the altercation becomes tense around Jesus making something. Verse 10. Right now, then the neighbors and friendly people are talking to the man who was born blind, and they're just asking questions. How did this happen? <clears throat> Verse 10. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. So he told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. Well, I don't know. Verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed it, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. Wow. How could you not rejoice that a blind guy has been given sight? Verse 14, the day on which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes. Why not just say the day on which Jesus opened the man's eyes? Why include this piece about the day he made the mud? It sounds like he did two things wrong here on the Sabbath. Some of this goes back to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, where um, the Israelites were given the Ten Commandments and their first instructions at uh, understanding the law and therefore trying to keep the law literally Exodus 20 verse 9 says for six days you shall work and do all your work and the Sabbath you're not supposed to work and and, um, supposed to honor the Sabbath by resting so evidently they view the healing as a work and you're not supposed to do that but there's also this attached to it, made mud. That word for made, where Jesus made mud, that's the, a word that is built upon the same word that appears in Exodus 20, and it's translated work. Jesus did a work on the Sabbath, and half of that work, if you will, because there's two things that he did, half of that work, seems to be the making of mud. So, uh, Jesus knows they view this because this is in their traditions. You, you could speculate all day that you know was, was he really violating the Sabbath according to the word of God here? He definitely was violating their perception of the word of God here. They had construct, constructed 39 things that you could not do uh, that surrounded the the one command of, of trying to uh, not work on the Sabbath. Evidently, work as in the production of something was, was one of those. So according to their tradition, the Pharisees and the experts of the law, according to their traditions, you could not do something like making mud. That that was too much of a stumbling block. Add to that the work of healing. Uh, too, too much to do. So what it looks like is Jesus deliberately set up this conflict. Jesus deliberately went after their pathetic view of of interpreting the law in a legalistic way. We're talking about a person's life here. Sight is life. In the ancient world, this man had been sentenced to the streets and begging for food, begging for help. He just got his life. I wouldn't say he got his life back because he never had it. He was born blind. He just got a life from Jesus. Completely unable to see this and process this. Wait a minute. Did you make some mud on the Sabbath? You're not from God. We've seen this type of attitude before. Turn back, if you will, to John chapter five. We'll pick it up with verse 10. There's a a man who's affected by disability. For 38 years, he's laying on a mat, and Jesus heals the man. And let's pick it up with verse verse 10. Um, The day, uh, middle of verse nine, actually, middle of verse nine, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath, there it is again, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Hello, did you just miss this guy was unable to walk and now he's able to walk and all you want to talk about is carrying the mat on your Sabbath? Wow. So then they ask a question. Let's see. Verse 11. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and, and walk? Who did this dastardly thing of telling you to carry your mat on the Sabbath? Oh, he healed the guy. Never mind that. Who told you to carry your mat on the Sabbath? Do you, do you, do you see? The, it, it's almost ridiculous. I, I, I think, well, it is ridiculous, but I think you can see this because you have spiritual sight these are intelligent people who are sometimes called lawyers experts in the law and no pun intended sorry about that probably trashed the illustration right there very smart individuals and they can't process a work of God in their midst there are some people who say boy I'd I'd, you know, if, if I could see Jesus, I, I, I'd believe. That's not always the case. They got to see Jesus up close. They got to ask questions. They got to see him at work. It wasn't enough for them to generate faith. What we've been seeing in the Gospel of John is that um, Jesus said things that only God could say, and Jesus did things that that only God could do. This is not rocket science. It's not like you, you need to follow some complex order here. This is very, very quite, very simple. Blind, mud, wash, sight. That's it. That's the level of complexity of, of following through this story. But the religious leaders have already made up their minds. Jesus was rejected before this miracle ever occurred. So let's read on verse 18 of chapter 9. John chapter 9 verse 18. The Jews still did not believe that the man had been born blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Verse 19, is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? Well, we know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews for Already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. Did you you understand what this means? So Jesus already stands in rejection by the religious leadership of Israel. He's still trying to win them. This is just such a gracious opportunity. Here's a man born blind and I've gifted him with sight. And they, they still can't comprehend this because they've made up their minds. Verse 23, that was why his parents said, ask him. He is of age. Uh, verse 24, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. Sounds like the hymn, Amazing Grace, was blind, but now I see. Verse 26, and then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I've already told you and you didn't listen. Why why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? (laughs) Verse 28, then they hurled insults at him and they said, you are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. See, the religious leaders are stuck. The miracle is undeniable. But they can't acknowledge the miracle because they don't want to say that Jesus is the Son of God. When you are spiritually blind, you are really blind. This is the deceptive power of sin that is present in those who are self-deceived and self-absorbed. We know that the Gospels give many more examples of Jesus' healing. You might not know that um, the majority of those, I don't know what percentage, but the majority of the healings attributed to Jesus are healings that go to the, the blind. In the Old Testament, the giving of sight to the blind is something that only God can do. We're told in Exodus chapter 4 that God created the eyes. He gives people sight in the first place. We're told in Psalm chapter 46, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. With this in their frame of reference, and this miracle set out right before them. This was a golden opportunity for them to reevaluate their position in terms of having rejected Jesus. Maybe they ought to accept him. Here's from the Gospel of Matthew. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read a couple of verses. Matthew chapter 15, and I'm going to be reading chapter 20. Or excuse me, verses 29 to 31. Jesus departed from there and came near to the Sea of Galilee. He went up into the mountain and sat there. Great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, the blind, mute, crippled, and many others. And they put them down at Jesus' feet. He healed them, so that the multitude was amazed. When they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healed, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and the glorified of the God of Israel. Again, not rocket science. God gives sight. Jesus gives sight. Jesus is God. They could have stretched out further and concluded that Jesus is the Son of God sent to Israel to be her Messiah and sent to the world to be a it's Savior. But they don't make those connections because they are spiritually blind. Okay, finally, a perspective on spiritual blindness. And that, that uh, takes us to verse 35. Let's read this, the last section of the Gospel of John, starting with verse 35. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out, thrown him out of the synagogue. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. What an amazing thing to be born blind and the first thing, the first person you see, Jesus. Wow. Um, Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe he worshipped him. Verse 39, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Wow. Well, we'll have to take a note of that one. Verse 40, some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are, are, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Well, as I read through this section, this last section, I found myself asking, why did Jesus find this man and have this private conversation? Perhaps to affirm his faith, the man was banned from the synagogue. I mean, maybe there was a little bit of a, hey, you go, dude. Right on. Now, it's still curious to me, though, that Jesus sought him out. The, the miracle has been performed. He doesn't need to have this conversation in order to have the miracle. If the miracle, if the only thing about this episode in the Gospel of John is, is, is about the miracle of restoration of sight, then this completely conversation is completely unnecessary, but what if, what if there's more to the miracle than just the miracle? I'm going to read verse 35 again, but let me give you this reminder before I read that. Biblical faith has as its object the person of Jesus Christ. It's not a vague general belief in a God somewhere, somehow. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Boy, that's very specific. It, um, when we read verse 38, um, Lord, I do believe. I, I, I take it that's not a, a vague general belief, but a specific belief in Jesus as the Son of Man, Jesus as the one who has been sent by God, Jesus is asking him, do you trust me? Do you trust the Son of Man? Do you trust the person that God has sent into this world? Do you trust me as Savior? In general, the phrase Son of Man goes back to the book of, uh, Old Testament book of Daniel. It's a, it's a divine title. But in the context of the Gospel of John, Son of, the Son of God comes down to earth. Something that we recall at Christmas time our great hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the one we have waited for. The son of man has arrived. There's more though to the title son of man and John has already made this connection for us. Turn back uh, just a bit, John chapter 5 verse 27. Still coming back to uh, John 9 again, but John chapter 5 verse 27. Watch the connection that John has already made for us between judgment and Son of Man. Verse 27, Jesus speaking, and he has given him, God has given me, he, you could say, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Okay, now I'm going to read again verse, first part of verse 39 of... of uh, John chapter 9, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world. Boy, what does that mean? For judgment I have come. That can be particularly hard to process when you consider that uh, just a couple of months from this occasion in John chapter 9, Jesus will say, I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. That's John chapter 12. Okay, so which is it? Did you come to judge? Or did you come to save? Yes. Jesus did come to save. But saving people requires a judgment from which they are saved. Remember, there always has to be something we are saved from. Jesus is not Savior, and we will talk about Savior a lot at Christmas time. Jesus is not Savior as in. A nice sentimental thought, Jesus is Savior in that there is something we have to be saved from, and that's the judgment of God. Given the war of uh, uh, Hamas and Israel right now, and the clamoring for hostages to be released, I'll put it this way. We would never say the hostages were released if we could not say, the hostages were released from captivity. So it's a little bit incomplete to say, Jesus saves. More complete would be, Jesus saves us from the judgment of God. That last part of verse 39 might seem to you to be a tongue twister, but it's really quite straightforward. So that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. The phrase, so that, is, is a purpose statement. It's, it's for, for this reason or in order that. All those who claim to see will become blind because they're making this claim in rejection of Jesus Christ. Those who are blind are those who, uh, who, will, who will see or those who will come to uh, hear the gospel and respond to that. So blindness or, or ability to see right here hinges upon your response to the person of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> what we're learning here in John chapter 9, we've actually learned already because it's been presented to us, but it's pretty clear that blindness is a spiritual metaphor, So, the physical blindness that this man was in, it's as if this man is a a living parable, a living demonstration of what it's like to be spiritually blind. The man born blind doesn't have the capacity to give himself spiritual sight any more than he has the capacity to give to himself physical sight. Both of those, physical sight, and spiritual sight require a divine work, a work of God. And now that Jesus is on the scene, those things can begin to happen. We did not read this, but here's verse 5 of John chapter 9. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After the life, (coughs) excuse me, after the life death and resurrection of jesus christ it became very apparent that those who claimed to be able to see you know like the nuances of keeping the sabbath it became very apparent after the life death resurrection and ascension of jesus christ that those who claimed to be able to see were in fact spiritually blind all along the jews lost their land they lost the temple They were no longer considered to be God's chosen. God was now working with the church. They were no longer custodians of the scripture. They failed to see the Son of God and receive their salvation from judgment and sin. Here's from John chapter three, verse nineteen. We love three sixteen. I think that's my favorite verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Just reading three verses down, verse nineteen. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Does that remind you of anything going on in the world today? Two points of application, and I'll give you th- give this to you with just some brief comments. Number one, if you recognize your spiritual blindness, Jesus will give you sight. Christmas means Christ has come jesus came here as the light of the world perhaps this morning you will be willing to receive spiritual sight and you need to talk to jesus about that number two if you think you can see on your own apart from jesus you can't see at all you are spiritually blind that is why i so often pray before I open the word with you folks. I want you to see it. I pray before I open the word of God in my study because I want to see it. But when I come here, I desperately want you to see it. It's possible to be superficially connected with Jesus for a very long period of time and not see spiritual truth. The Old Testament version of that is the Jewish religious leadership. Maybe you are deep in a pattern of reading Scripture, dismissing Scripture, explaining to yourself and to others why you're okay with God, and you don't recognize your spiritual blindness. You also need to talk to Jesus about that. Well, we've said a lot because I think John chapter 9 says quite a bit to us this morning. Perhaps it's time that we, that I stop talking so that we can all talk to our Father in heaven. Let's do that. And I'll give you just a moment to uh, speak to God on your behalf. Our Father in heaven, you are great and gracious and glorious. You and you alone are the giver of spiritual sight. Forgive us for those moments when we have put too much reliance upon ourselves. Too much me and not enough you. Too much of our work and not enough of praying for your work. Help us to be people who are immersed in your word of in, in your word, but also humbly immersed. Shine your light, Lord Jesus Christ, into those dark recesses of our hearts where we continue to hang on to things that are comfortable, pleasing to us, or just plain habitual. And we don't want to let go. We're keeping these things hidden from people, but we know you see them. At least today, we're beginning to figure that out. I pray that you'd shine your light into those dark places so that we have to deal with it. Dear God, help us to see people who are outside of Christ as walking in darkness. And that we would have compassion and be moved to do something, be it prayer or sending others or going ourselves. That we would no longer think, well, that's their choice, but we would begin to realize there's deception there and somebody Somebody needs to tell them. Thank you, God, for the clarity of John chapter 9. We just can't read this and walk away unchanged. Please accomplish your good work in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen.